you need a little extra time to navigate, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 13 this morning. We're talking about choices this morning. Have you ever made a bad choice? Don't look at your spouse. As I've gotten older, I've come to realize some important truths. Um, the first truth that many of you learn as well is this. You've been part of every bad decision you've ever made. Okay? Now, some of you, you're shocked. You're like, wait a minute. I didn't make the bad decisions. It was my wife, my husband, my parents, my kids. My Well, those may have affected you, but you've been part of every bad decision you've ever made. And you can either let that stop you and back you up, and you can turn into a whiner, complainer, or you can be a person that realizes this is how we get experience, right? Uh, now, show of hands this morning, uh, get your shoulders limbered up. How many of you have met people that don't always learn from their experiences? Look around this morning, okay? Hands down. How many of you are a person that you don't always learn from your bad experiences? <laughs> okay, right? So... I'm talking to you this morning. This is our story. And if you read the Bible, it's a Bible story too. It's amazing. Think about this. There's no perfect families in the Bible. There's no perfect representation besides Jesus. So one out of all the hundreds of Bible characters that you can read about, David, a man after God's own heart, made a bad decision with the Bathsheba. Made a bad decision to not correct his sons. And yet God still loved him, God still used him, but those things haunted him the rest of his life. And, and I want to share with you this morning uh, something, is, it's going to be to the point, I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, to, to goad anybody, and I'm not trying to be uh, fatalistic or any of that this morning. I have high hopes that each one of us can learn to make good decisions, but the reality is you have to learn what bad decisions are and stop making them because Here's the God's honest truth. Despite whether you're saved, whether you attend, whether you tithe, whether you pray, whether you do daily devotions, whether you try to, quote, live a right life or not, if you keep making bad decisions, your life is not going to be the blessed life you want it to be. You can have all of those things, and you keep making bad, dumb decisions you're going to find that your life is not the life you want it to be. And then it's pretty easy to blame somebody else or blame the situation or blame the economy or blame the church or blame the pastor or blame your marriage or blame your kids. But the reality is if you keep making dumb decisions, bad choices, your life's not going to turn out the way you want to be. And this is the part you don't want to miss. If you've already fallen asleep, this is the part you don't need to miss. Your bad decisions will affect those closest to you. Whether you wanted it to or not, your bad decisions, your bad choices will affect the people closest to you. And you may think, nope, this is, you, you just made another bad choice of thinking that your choices are happening in a void that they only affect you. Your bad choices will affect the people closest to you, just like your good choices can affect the people closest to you, right? And it can be a very basic thing. I think about 
maybe this is new to you or you just don't even think about this, but since I wasn't raised in church and I didn't even know anything about it, I think of how blessed that I am that not only did God save me from myself, from my situations, and it didn't mean that everything was roses. I had a lot of stuff I had to deal with and come to grips with, right? But think about the trickle-down effect that now I have children that were raised in a Christian household that I never had that opportunity. They received understanding and truth and wisdom that we learned and passed down to them that I never had the opportunity to. They attended great youth groups and churches and got to benefit from that blessing that I never had. And I can point and blame and complain, but the reality is I'm thankful that they get that. And I hope that that gets pushed down to my grandchildren as well. But it means that maybe one person has to make a decision and it begins a trickle-down effect both ways. So you start making dumb decisions, that trickles down. Now, I explain that to say that where I grew up, a very small town of about 3,000 people, my dad was born there and lived there almost his whole life. We spent just a couple years here in the, the Longview, Kelso area before we got tired of you folks and moved back. And, uh, but can I tell you, it was a small enough town that you knew who was where just by the, by the cars? And there was extended members of my family that didn't have a good reputation. And in fact, there's a couple of uncles on my mom's side that I've never met, but I only know their reputation because all I ever knew from them is, oh, Big John, I think he's still in prison. And I've never met the man, and I don't know whatever happened to him. But that's all I knew about him. I never heard about what happened and all the good things that he potentially did. All I heard was, oh, yeah, he, he's still in prison, I think. And I want to spare you that, and especially if you're a younger believer or a younger generation here, uh, you can't look to technology and you can't look to culture to have good choices because some of the choices that need to be made, you can only find by other good counsel or by asking God because God is the one that will direct your path, okay? Because as we travel down our road, you're not going to see that sign. Wouldn't that be easy? You've got a big choice to make. Good choice, bad choice. I would be happy if we just paused long enough to actually think through that process. Let's see, what kind of a choice do I want to make? Most of the time, the people I meet, they don't even think through that. They're just like, I've got to make a decision, and they make a decision. And I want to read this morning, and hopefully you'll read along with me in Genesis, about a decision that's made that gives us a great real-world, up-to-date example of what's happening over and over and over again because here's the painful part. Our bad decisions don't always have immediate consequences. Our bad decisions don't always have immediate consequences. Are you ready? Here we go. It's going to be in Genesis chapter 13, verses 9 through 13. So I'll prep this up for you. I'll tee it up on the tee for you. Here it is. There's a man named Abraham that God had called out of his original land and decided he was going to pour himself into Abraham and make him a blessed 
person and through him that all the nations would be blessed. And somewhere along the line, he ended up having a nephew named Lot that came to live with him. And now Lot has been with Abraham for many, many years, and they've both been blessed. They both have huge herds, lots of flocks. They're extremely wealthy, and now they've been getting into conflict because they've got so much that God has blessed them with that they're constantly having this conflict over who's using what. And so at this point, Abraham breaks moral code, or community code, not moral code, and he gives his nephew the choice. Now, in this culture, that didn't happen. The older man always got the preference. But Abraham understood, God takes care of me no matter what. And so he says, we've got to stop this. I don't want to have this constant fight with you. So Lot, I'm going to let you choose. Which Lot didn't in the Bible say, oh, no, uncle, you're, you're the wise one. You're the blessed one. Everything I have is because of you. The only reason I'm blessed is because I've been with you. He doesn't say that. Here's the rest of the story. Abraham says the whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land that you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land on the right. And, and the position that they're in, they're actually in an elevated position. They're about 2,000 feet in the air, looking out over these plains, and you can see like a well-watered area, and he's like, okay, we're looking here. Which way? Are you going to go this way? Then I'll go this way. If you go this way, then I'll go this way. We're not going to share anymore. We're going we're gonna to go our separate ways. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. So Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere. It's like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. Now think about that for just a minute. It's like the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and his servants, and he parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain but the people there were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. Okay. That's a huge story all compiled down in just a few verses. A decision has to be made. And as we look through that passage, did you notice where it said, Lot told Abram, I need to take some time to see what God wants me to do. I didn't see that in there either. Did you see in that passage where he says, Abram, you're blessed in every decision that you make. God seems to have favor on your life. Abram, what would you do? He doesn't say that either. He just makes a decision with his eyes. He sees something he likes. And he decides to go with that decision. No consultation, no prayer, no seeking guidance, no seeking God. He just makes 
a decision. He didn't ask Abram's advice, nor did he ask the counsel of God. And what's interesting is the text is pretty clear in this variation. It said that Lot chose for himself. Now, there's going to be points this morning that I want you to know it's going to be very pointed because I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. Most of the decisions we make, we make for ourselves. We're not concerned with what God thinks or what anybody else thinks. We just make a decision. We think that's right. It feels good to me, and I'm going to go for it. And we give it no more thought than that. And then we find out we've got a car payment next month. And we've got a mortgage. And we've got a divorce. And we've got a broken family. And we've got an addiction. And we never see the end result and the consequences. All we see is right here, right now. I'm choosing for myself. Uh, I want the area that's well watered. That's going to give me lots of good stuff. But it's interesting that it says that he moved his tents to a place. Yep, all of that stuff was there. It was well watered. It was fertile. But that's also where the people lived that were, think about those words, extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. Now, before we go any farther, I want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should move to the middle of nowhere away from people. Because God didn't ask us to do that. He wants us to be very present because we're on mission, right? But we also have to be very careful with who we associate with. We're on a mission to get the world saved, but we're not on a mission to allow the world to impact how we live. I don't ask the world for advice about my marriage. I don't ask the world for advice about how to raise children or grandchildren or how to spend my money because they have ways that is very convenient for them and it's only geared towards them. But God is on my side and wants me to pick the right thing and sometimes the right thing doesn't look so easy as good choice, bad choice. Sometimes the right thing doesn't look like success up front. Sometimes the right choice looks like delayed gratification. And for those of you that are single or those of you that are acting like you're single, this is a huge deal. Your decision to engage in relationship and actions because of immediate gratification is causing you to make a series of bad decisions. And on the outset, you may rationalize and say, well, it's not wrong or it's not illegal. But if you had asked God, but if you had asked a fellow mature Christian, they would have said, I wouldn't put myself anywhere near that. But it doesn't feel good. It feels so right. And you think about that. How many choices have we made, and they're usually not good choices, when we say, it feels so right. This is how they get you to buy cars, right? Because what they really want to talk to you about is, hey, do you want to take a test drive? Because they want your backside in that seat, feeling how good the interior is. They want you to visualize what it must be like to drive it. They don't want you to, they don't want to sit down and talk to you, hey, let's talk about the maintenance plan. Let's talk about how long the drive train is actually going to last. Hey, let's talk about what the fuel 
that this thing's going to consume. Let's sit down and talk. They never want to talk about that. You know what they want to talk about? This thing's got leather heated seats. These things have DVD displays built into the back of the seats. These things have Sirius XM, witchy, watchy, witchy. They've got everything in these things. It connects automatically to your phone. It's got blind sight thing. It's got uh, parallel parking for you. It backs up for you. It cooks your coffee for you. It does everything. And then under their breath, and it's only $650 a month. And you go, oh. But, no, that's okay. Hey, you can't afford the 650 No big deal. We'll just stretch that out into like 121 months. Because that sounds so much better than 17 years, right? You see, they're not talking about the stuff that's going to be the day today, 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 right? They want you to get a vision just like Lot did. He could see himself. Man, if I've got all this stuff now, imagine how my crops are going to thrive. Imagine how my flocks are going to expand. And not only that, I'm not stuck here with Abraham. There's people in that city that need what I've got. And I'm sure he justified it and rationalized it. But what you don't know, because it's not shared in that thing, is what's interesting. And, And again, it's not some super spiritual thing. And yet, we have to understand that we live spiritual lives as well. The place where they're staying right now, where Abram is blessed, is called Bethel, which means the house of God. And he decides to leave the house of God to go to the cities of the extremely wicked and those that sin constantly. Now think about this, and this is where you have to be a student of your word. And I don't know exactly what it says in your Bible, but it's not that they're they're just sinning. They're sinning against the Lord. Okay? They know there's a God, and they're sinning against Him. That's a whole different level, right, than just, oh, I didn't know. Now, what? the story also doesn't tell you is that in just a few chapters some kings attack Sodom and Lot gets taken ransom. The kings carry him off and all of his family and now he's being held hostage and Abram does what a good godly uncle should do. He gathers his servants, now think about this, and he pursues these kings that have just overthrown the city, and he tracks them down, he defeats them, and he gets, a, he gets Lot and all of his goods and all of his family back. You're safe now. Okay. That would have been a great opportunity for Lot to say, man, I think I need to make some changes. He comes back, and now what you don't understand is he was, plant, he, was, he was living near Sodom. Now he's in Sodom. And a couple chapters later, we find out that God says, The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah have come up before me, and they are so great, I can't let this go on. I'm going to destroy the city. And what's funny is God doesn't show up and talk to Lot. God shows up and talks to Abram. He says, I just want you to know 
what I'm about to do. And this is amazing because it's not going to affect Abram. Abram doesn't live there. But this is what I'm trying to get at. God considered Abram a friend of God. And friends tell each other what they're going to do. And he comes and he says, I just want you to know. And this is what's interesting. Abram knew that Lot was in the city. And guess what? God knew that Lot was in the city, right? And Abram says, we're friends, right? Yep. Let's make a deal. What if I can find 40 good people? Will you spare the city? God's like, good luck. How about 30? Sure. How about 20? Sure. How about 10? Sure. Now think about this. For those of you that have had a bad experience in church and a bad experience of thinking God's just up there ready to squash everybody, here's a God that wants to spare as many people as he can. That's the heart of God. He could have just said, there's no bargaining. These people are sinners. I'm done with them. Squish. But he didn't. And it shows the heart of Abram, right? He doesn't know anybody that lives there except for Lot. But he's like, he can't even fathom all these people just gone, all these people just swept into the, into the abyss of God, and, and he begins his bargaining process. And you can read it later, and I encourage you to. God sends two messengers, angels, whatever you want to call them, and no, they didn't have big wings, nor did they have ninja swords or any of this stuff that maybe you've seen portrayed on TV. <laughs> they look like men that go into the town because Abram struck a deal with God and said, will you spare them if I can? And they go in and they show up. And now here's what's interesting. Lot's not out in camp near the city. He's sitting at the city gates with the leaders. He's become entrenched in their culture. And he sees them. He says, welcome to Sodom. And he's like, oh, we, we're here for a little bit. We've got an important mission. Do you know of any place we can stay? And he's like, well, you can come stay at my house because he knows what Sodom's all about. You've got to read the story. It's pretty graphic. And they say, no, no, no. We'll just do the customary thing. We don't want to intrude on you. We'll just sleep in the city square. He's like, you don't want to do that. You, you can't sleep in the city square. In some places that may be safe, but you can't do that here. Come into my house. Well, they start to go to his house, and the as the sun's going down, the men of the city come out and knock on Lot's door. Where are the two men that came to visit you? Send them out so that we can have sex with them. This is the city he's living in now and knows it. And here's the effect of all that time. And we don't know how much time has passed. He pleads with them, don't do this horrible thing. And they say, you do what we say or we'll treat you worse. And Lot says, I'm going to send out my virgin daughters. Have them. They don't want the virgin daughters. And the two angels have to come out and strike the men blind so that they can begin to get Lot out of the city. After Lot got rescued, he didn't run back home away from the bad decision. You know what he did? He moved closer. And then pretty soon he's living. He's not in a tent anymore. He's in a house in the city 
He's among the decision makers in the city. Now, I'm all for trying to be good leaders and to lead our city well, but we also have to separate ourselves from the wickedness and the perversion of that process. And it's getting increasingly t- difficult. I'm telling you, this is, this is one of the hardest things we've got to do today is how do we make a difference in a world that doesn't care much about difference, but not much has changed in human society. And I'm not saying that our community is Sodom and Gomorrah. And even if you think it is, it's still a city worth saving. That's what God wants us to do, right? But that also means that as we live here, we've got to be people that make godly decisions, right choices instead of wrong choices that end, that end up with us looking and acting and being just like them. How about you? Do you make decisions like Lot where you just look and see and make a decision? Or are you asking some questions? Are you thinking it through? Think about how many marriages would be spared if we actually took the time to figure out if they were the right person for you, had the right values, before you got all involved and found out, I can't believe, I don't even know this person. or the right job, or the right ticket, the right car, the right... But we never slow down long enough. We just make a decision for ourselves, just like Lot. And then when it ends up poorly, we expect somebody to come fix it, somebody to rescue us. And thank God, we have a loving God that protects and provides for us. But some of these things have long-lasting consequences that whether you think you can work your way out of it or not, you think about what happens when you get under a heavy load of debt and it may take a long time to get out of it and it crushes you every day. Or child support. Or the shame of a discarded child. Or the shame of a broken family. Or the pain of a wayward child. Those things don't go in. And yes, God loves you and you're going to make it to heaven, but the consequences... You read the rest of that story, and here's the sad ending. Finally gets the family, they're ready to flee. And it just shows that, I guess, that finger-like tendrils that can get into us if we're not careful. They've been clearly told that God's going to destroy the city, and as they're fleeing the city, running for safety, his wife looks back, stops, and looks back with longing like like somehow she's going to miss something there. Like somehow, I can't believe I have to give all this up. And she's turned into a statue of salt, the Bible says. And I don't know if that's figurative or if it's a real deal. or It doesn't matter. What it is is a great illustration of you look back on all that mess wishing you got it, maybe you're stuck. She doesn't make it out of Sodom. And you're waiting, maybe you're thinking this is a Hallmark movie, that this is a sitcom, because everything's got to end right. You wonder how this ends? This ends with Lot depressed, humiliated, drunk, living in a cave, having sex with his daughters. 
Happy ending. Consequences. And you know where it started? I'm going to go camp near Sodom. How about you this morning? Are you making decisions that are getting you closer to Bethel, God's house? Are you making decisions that are taking you farther away from God's house? And I'm not talking about the church because he owns everything, right? Are you making decisions getting you closer to him and your relationship getting closer and you're getting smarter and you're getting wiser and you're living purer? Or are you making decisions about you that's kind of like, hmm... Because remember, you and I have been part of every bad decision we've ever made. But guess what? You can stop making bad decisions. That's the good news. The good news is there's wisdom. The good news is you're surrounded by people that can give you good counsel. In fact, they may have had the same bad experiences that you don't ever want to mess with that. For every person that's about to try drugs, I'd like, I'd like to introduce you to a long-term addict that you'd like to talk to right now and see how their life is and see if they'd say, yeah, I think it's worth it. For those of you ready to give up in a relationship, I'd like to talk to you and show you somebody that's been through multiple relationships says, hey, you know what's the best thing I ever did was get married three or four times? Those of you who want to be snappy in your decisions, I'd love to show you the person that feels completely crushed and they've already had to file bankruptcy and they still don't know how they're going to pay the bills. And say, yeah, make those quick, easy decisions. Just get yourself in debt. It doesn't matter. Because your human mind thinks, well, just work overtime until the job's gone. Until the accident happens until a huge ER visit. See, God's already seen the future. And if we'll consult Him, and if we're still unclear, we go to His Word. In fact, Proverbs tells us this, right? <laughs> but here's some other, this is from, that story's from the Old Testament. Here's from the New Testament. This is Paul, who, who's speaking to the church at Ephesus. He's trying to explain to people about good decision-making, and he's pretty clear this morning as he says this, he says, be careful how you live. Think about that for just a minute. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now think about that for just a minute. You need to know what the Lord wants you to do. Have you stopped long enough to even ask it? Do you care? Or are you just choosing for yourself? Because guess what? Your decisions will impact those closest to you. Now, to take some of that pressure off you, let's look right up here. Me or any pastor. Pastor makes bad decisions. Might it affect a church? Might it affect families? Is that your fault? trickles down. Many, many churches have been hurt, devastated, and no longer cease to exist because somebody didn't make wise decisions. They make decisions on what was based on what looked good, felt good, a growing trend or a fad instead of, we need to slow this down 
And we need some guidance and some direction. The King James Version of that verse says this, you should walk circumspectly. And that's kind of a weird thing, but walking really means living in the New Testament. And circumspectly means I look around before I take the next step. Imagine you're in a minefield. Because I can guarantee you, if all of a sudden the guy in front of you gets blown up, guess what? You're going to walk circumspectly from that moment on. If you're wise. And the world is full of minefields, ready to blow you up, (laughs) ready to stop your walk, ready to hurt you, ready to change the consequences and the direction of your life. And you don't live it in fear. You live it in faith of saying, we walk by faith, right? But we have faith in God, not in our ability to figure it out. Are you careful with how you live? I've been, I won't say I'm whining, but I've been railing on this this whole week. I hear the news report of the workers of Burgerville want to go on strike because they're not making enough money. You're getting 15 bucks an hour to work indoors to take a piece of plastic attached to a flat piece of metal and here's again I understand that things are more expensive but listen and this again maybe it'll blow your mind they wanted an extra $5 an hour so that they could have a prevailing wage now listen As soon as they get the $5 an hour, their lifestyle is going to go up, and pretty soon they'll be saying, we don't make enough money. Because as soon as they get the extra 5 bucks an hour, they're buying the bigger TV. They're getting the extra Hulu and the Netflix and the new car. And and then pretty soon we're going to be paying these guys 30 bucks an hour. And your burger is going to cost $22 a burger. And they're going to be saying... We don't earn enough money because they haven't learned the principle of dialing down your expenses. Right? And this is from a guy that's not a finance guy. I get it. When you only get X and you're spending Y, there ain't enough. So what do you do? Well, they got that cash checking place down there. I'll just go down there and write a check and then... Now you're really behind, and you've got interest, and don't live like fools. If we took a look at your life, would we say that you're living like a fool or that you're living like somebody that follows Jesus? Not looking at how much time you spend in the Word, but if we just look at the choices that you made, the position in your life right now, the consequences, would we say, that's somebody I want to follow, or we say, whew, man, they are living a rough life. And it's not judgment, and it's not saying you're a bad person. Maybe you just never learned how to make right decisions. I've got family members like this. They don't seem to know how to make right decisions, even though they made the same wrong decision, chose the same guy the last time, and that turned it out that way, and chose... It's like, oh, finally free, and seem to find another guy just like that. 
Or maybe you thought you'd learn after you got busted for such and such, and then pretty soon here you find yourself again, and you didn't learn from your mistake. And it's affecting you, it's affecting your witness, it's affecting the people closest to you. Here's what 1 John even says. Think about this for just a minute. Do not love this world or the things it offers you. Now, again, not the people, the world. It doesn't say the people. It says the world, that system, that culture out there. Don't love what it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Think about that. If you begin to love it, and it is what killed him and threw him out, you can't have it both ways. And the Bible is even clear about that. You can't serve two masters. You've got to either choose him or you've got to choose the world. And this is going to be pointed for just a minute. Some of you sitting here today, I'm not talking about any place else, I'm not talking about him, but some of you sitting here today, you're playing in the gray area. And it's costing you. You're coming to church, you're trying to do that, but you're still playing in the, I think I can serve both. And I'm telling you, you can't. You may think you can manage it, but sooner or later, you're going to find out you can't serve both because you'll have to make a decision someday. And this is where it's hard. Many times we won't accept God's decisions because they don't look like success. But God never promised you success. And many times we pursue success to cover up our insecurities and our immaturities. We're trying to prove to the world what we look like to follow up the holes in our heart. And we're trying to fill it with material goods instead of saying, it's not about the house or the car or my place in Tahiti or it's about how close I am to God and how good my family is to me. I've got what I need and if God wanted me to have more, he'd give me more. But that is very contrary to the American way of living where we've got Facebook trying to show everybody what I've got and what I don't have and how happy we are and all this stuff. And it's not making us any more complete or fulfilled. In fact, it's doing the opposite. We're looking at everybody else saying, wish I had that. Why? You don't see the five minutes before and after that photo. You don't see the marriage falling apart, and they're just barely holding it together so they can have another vacation. You, you don't see any of that. You just see the smiling faces as they sit on the beach. You don't see any of the mess. See, many of the choices we make are to fill gaps in our heart, not to please God and not to do the right thing. It's to fill in voids that the world is saying, oh, right? You know what you need? You need a new car. That'll make you feel better. You know what you need? You need a, a big vacation. Think of how many photos you You know what you need? You need a new wife. You know what you need? You're not going to get addicted. You're just gonna, it's just going to help you take a little break from reality. You'll just feel good for a little bit. And you say, oh, I can handle this. I, I can stop anytime. You stop now. Well, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. How many times I've heard that?
Don't love this world. The, the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. And, and if you've got a different version, it may say lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. We're designed to see with these things. And when we see, if we're not complete in God, then oh, I want what they've got. And I, but you don't know what the cost is. You don't know what the consequences is. You don't know that you're selling a little piece of yourself every time you make those bad decisions, especially for a, a younger generation. And it's not that you're not smart. You are. But you're also in a moral vacuum that the church isn't catching up fast enough and the world is drawing it out of you. You don't know how to make the right decisions. You're just making a decision. And you can't ask Google about these things. Should I buy a house? Should I marry this person? Try that with Google. And the most important decisions that can bring you either the most pleasure or the most pain, the world can't answer for you, but God can. And mature Christians around you can. And the Word of God can. It can show you how to make those decisions, but we've got to start looking to those things instead of to ourselves. The world offers so much. It seems like it's that it's wide open. But think about what Abram said to Lot. The whole country's open to you. Choose wisely. <laughs> Everything's open to you now. You can find anything you want on the internet. Choose wisely. <laughs> this world has no limits on how far you can go or how dark it can get. Choose wisely. But also, those things are not eternal. They don't build you up, and they don't give life. They only draw out of you. We can't serve those two masters. And as somebody that grew up in that culture, not understanding that there even was a choice, I want to take that part of that verse and just explain it to you from my standpoint. The world will offer you physical pleasures that it, for a moment seem good and then pretty soon you realize how empty you are. And pretty soon, mate after mate after mate after encounter after encounter, you're not more fulfilled, you're less fulfilled. And your heart is empty. And yet your body is still saying, one more person. Maybe this is it, one more person, one more act of sex, one more this, one more toke, one more drink, one more needle, one more, and it never fulfills. It always leaves you more empty. The craving for things we see. You don't have enough money. Because <laughs> as soon as you do, there's going to be a new whatever. You can't change your DNA. You can't change who you are. You can try all that surgery, but guess what? When you look in the mirror, you're still going to see you no matter what type of surgery you had, no matter what you dress. Like, you're still, if you're not fulfilled on the inside, it won't matter what you do to the outside. You're going to be more and more emptied every time you try to fill that. And the pride of our achievements, pretty soon, you realize you've left all the people behind and all the things you valued behind to get what, a plaque, a raise, a house? You keep it up pretty soon, that house is going to be half hers or his. 
You keep it up pretty soon, your kids don't want to talk to you. You keep it up, you friends aren't even around anymore. And yep, you've got the office and the car that you wanted, but are you going to talk to them when you feel like nothing's real anymore? And yet here's Jesus that doesn't own a home, doesn't have a 401k, doesn't even have a way to get around except for walking. And he's content because he has a relationship with, Christ, with God. And the thing that hurts him most is those few moments on the cross where God had to turn away from him. He didn't care that his clothes were taken. He didn't clear, care what people were shouting. You know what hurt Jesus the most is when God had to look away from his son because it became sin. Not relationship uh, that mattered the most. So I'd really do you a disservice this morning if I didn't tell you how to make godly choices. So here we go. First of all, trust God in his word. And for some of you, that's a big starting point. And maybe, hey, maybe you've been in church a while. Maybe you don't even believe. I, I get it. But you don't have to believe it to try it. I mean, there's even this weirdness out there. Somebody saying, well, I'm not even sure it's inspired. You don't read anything because it's inspired. <laughs> you don't watch movies because they're inspired. You watch it because it's what you want to watch. Just understand that you can trust God's word. Proverbs tells us this. Don't lean on your own understanding, but trust the Lord and he will make your paths straight. Think about that for just a minute. Without him, our paths get weaving and crooked, and we can't lean on our own understanding. We don't always get it. Trust him. When you don't know what to do, look to God in prayer. Look to God in his word. And if you don't know how to navigate it, call me. Text me. You can find ways to figure it out that will tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Secondly is ask for wisdom. James says that if any of you lacks wisdom, ask, and he generously, liberally gives it to you. Think about that. He's up there going, man, I wish they just asked. Nope, they skipped again. <laughs> oh, here's a big decision. They're going to ask. No, they didn't ask again. He's just waiting to dump wisdom on you. But you've got to ask, right? If you never ask, think about that. You go to the car dealer. It looks great. It's awesome. Feels good. And you ask, how much is this going to cost me? Well, let's go inside. And we'll figure this out. See, that's another trick, those of you who ever buy a car. Don't give up your car key. Because they know you're stuck there. They don't need your car key. I'll keep the car key, thanks. Just tell me how much it costs. Let me talk to your mechanic. Bring him out. I want to know how many days he repairs every month. That'd be a whole different experience, wouldn't it? But that takes the thrill away from it. But that's the reality, right? You want to know, yeah, I had to fix uh, 38 catalytic converters on those this month. I uh, passed. I don't want this car. I don't care how good it feels. Ask, and then seek counsel. If you've been praying and you're getting nothing and you can't find it in the Word, how about find some people around you in your small group, in your little sphere of mature Christians, those that are truly following Christ. Ask them, hey, this is what's going on. What do you think I should do? And that's just three little steps right there. Seek counsel. Proverbs is full of all that stuff that says, hey, 
You better make sure you, you seek counsel before you just go off on your own and make a decision. You can do that, but it doesn't end great for you. So as we wrap this up this morning, this is something that could radically change your future. And you may be thinking, I've already made the bad decision. Guess what? Sometimes God gives us wisdom of how to short-circuit the bad decision and start us on a path of healing, on a path of debt reduction, on a path that leads us someplace else instead of making the next bad decision. He can shorten those times. He's a good God. But it also means that we've got to ask Him. And we've got to trust Him. And it may not feel the way you think it should feel. It may not look the way you think it should look. But I'm telling you, it'll be worth it when the time comes. 